0: Autoimmune conditions are complex disease states where inflammatory and immune dysregulation overwhelm numerous regulatory systems. Their development and severity are often influenced by a legion of factors, including genetics, immune dysregulation and infections, intestinal hyperpermeability, dysbiosis and toxicity, nutritional deficiencies and stress. Biositicals is proud to present the Reprogramming Autoimmunity Seminar Series in November 2016. The aim of the seminar is to delve deep into the known imbalances seen in autoimmune diseases and to learn the modern integrative treatments which can improve the health of patients suffering autoimmune related illness. You will leave the seminar confident in assessing the complex imbalances seen in various autoimmune disorders, prescribing safe herbal and nutritional medicines to combat immune imbalances, and recommending effective nutritional and lifestyle interventions for the management of autoimmune disease symptoms. Your presenter, Belinda Reynolds, is a dietitian and senior educator for Bioceuticals who has shared her wealth of knowledge across Australia and New Zealand. Join Belinda at this half-day seminar throughout November 2016 To learn more about the evidence-based approaches for rebalancing immune dysregulation and how to enable your patients to enjoy a more fruitful life, register now for this important education event at biosteuticals.com.au slash education slash events.
1: This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. Joining me on the line today is Helen Patterin, who holds a bachelor degree in health sciences, naturopathy, and completed studies in nutrition, herbal medicine and massage, as well as postgraduate training in the treatment for metabolic, neurologic, digestive and immune disorders. Helen's been in clinical practice since 2001, working from one of Sydney's most highly regarded integrated medical centres, along with holistic GPs, an integrative paediatrician, and other practitioners as well. Helen wrote the chapter on paediatrics and ASD for Leah Heckman's book, Clinical Naturopathic Medicine, and co-authored the book, Bubba Yum Yum, with Charlotte Carr and Pete Evans and has another book on gut health to be released in November 2016, which I can't wait for, I've got to say. Helen is an ambassador and a regular presenter for the MIND Foundation and has presented for Health Masters Live and ACNEM, that's the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, providing postgraduate education for GPs, naturopaths, nutritionists and other healthcare professionals. While living in New Zealand for over four years, Helen lectured anatomy and physiology for the New Zealand College of Massage and the New Zealand Institute of Sport. Helen is passionate about conscious living, real food, vital health and empowering individuals, families and organisations to find the joy in well-being. And I truly welcome you back to FX Medicine, Helen. How are you?
2: I'm good, thanks Andrew. and It's a pleasure to be
1: here again. I've got to say I love how your bio reads vital health, not just health.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, it's a all differentiation. About vitality. It's contagious as yes. well, so yeah. <laughs> That's right.
1: Now we're going to be talking about quite a confounding uh condition and we're talking about re- rebalancing the autoimmune thyroid and it's it's an interesting word autoimmune because it seems to be more and more teasing apart from inflammatory mediated or immune mediated. So
2: yeah.
1: what are we talking about here?
2: <laughs> well, I guess we're being presented with a barrage of autoimmune conditions these days, aren't we? I mean, the the um, rates of it seem to be skyrocketing. And I know each week in clinic, it, it um, makes up a predominant um, proportion of uh, the conditions that people are presenting with. So and I'm seeing more and more of this um thyroid disorder and a lot of the time um, misundia- sorry a lot of the time undiagnosed mm. as well yeah. um, so I think what we're needing to look at is what are the underlying factors that are going on because rather than putting this focus as can happen in uh, modern medicine on Particular um, organs, or or where the symptoms are presenting, we need to look at. Well, actually, is it a thyroid disorder, or is it a disorder of the immune system? Mm. And um, that that totally changes the way that we approach things.
1: So this, what you said, really piques my interest because back in my day of nursing in a hospital situation, thyroid disease mm. was something you saw was something who you know they they were they were coming in for surgery, you know, thyroid ablation or something like that. So they were extremely sick people. And
0: Mm -hmm. it was just,
1: even in the community, it was sort of unheard of. It wasn't a really noted condition, but more and more it seems to be rearing its head. Mm
0: -hmm. I do
1: make the point, though, that is it always thyroid or do we tend to look for something and then obviously see it because we're looking for it? Where do you make the distinction that it is or isn't thyroid?
2: Well, um, a few ways. I think in in, um, some ways the thyroid is a little bit like the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, It's a very sensitive um, piece of tissue. Mm -hmm. And so it is one that can be quite heavily affected by environmental and lifestyle factors and also affected by um, function of other organs and systems. So... You know, it could be that it has stemmed from um, adrenal fatigue and exhaustion or high stress. Um, it could be exposure to environmental toxins. It could be um, an infectious uh, trigger that's created this disorder. But um, a lot of the time it's, I think, these days goes overlooked because many of the symptoms can be those Oh it's all in your head kind of symptoms you know you're not feeling that great energy's low there's a bit of depression or anxiety um and of course sometimes it can be quite severe but a lot of the time it's these these rumbling kind of symptoms where you're just not really vibing on life and mm. you know hair might be falling out and moods aren't great and skin's dry and um and there can be fertility issues and all these things going on mm. so it's kind of a reflection of what's going on in multiple systems. It's not really just thyroid disease, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and why do you think it's such a huge issue in today's society, rather than you know twenty, even twenty, thirty years ago, let alone further yeah, back in well, history?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to diet and lifestyle and environment. Yeah, I mean, if we considered um, consider how altered our diets are, how processed they are, how much chronic stress that we're under, how adrenally challenged so many people are, um, how scared we are of the sun these days as well. Yes. Um, Yeah. How many immune and hormone disrupting chemicals are in our environment, many of them in our household that we're applying to ourselves every day. Um, And then a huge one is looking at the gut microbiota and how much that is affected by all of the above things as well. Yeah. And if we take those things into consideration and look at how those things affect thyroid function, well, then it's no wonder that um, incidences of these problems are really skyrocketing. Mm. You
1: you mentioned a few of the sort of hallmark symptoms there, you know, and I know Mm. the hair falling out and things like that. Are there any, you know, pathognomonic ones where you go, aha?
2: Um, Well, there are some quite obvious ones where you can. where you can see visually what's going on. That there can be the swelling around the neck, there can be the exophthalmos, things like that. Um a lot of the time I find it quite easy to look at people when there's um and and have a an educated guess that thyroid's going to be an issue if there is that thinning hair, the dry skin, the pale complexion, the puffy like the puffiness of um body in general, um, the thickening around the neck a little bit. Often it looks like um, metabolic syndrome as well. There can be the abdominal uh, obesity going on um, or that increase in visceral fat. So looking at um, the person as a whole, you can certainly often pick up a lot of physical um. Uh, observations that are going to lead you to suspect that diagnosis
1: yeah and then more into the the signs the you know pathology testing that mm. you might do and, and the the results from those and obviously the, this is a you know kettle of fish this one this is huge so mm. it depends on yeah. the type of condition you're treating but can you take us through some of the things that you might assess
2: yeah, well, I I put a lot of my patients through um the following kind of assessment just because so many people do have those symptoms I mentioned before, um whether and other ones as well including things like either loose stools or constipation and troubles with weight loss and insomnia and and feeling the cold and you know the um palpitations and things like that as yeah, well. So yeah. because um it's such a broad set of symptoms things that I look for definitely um, up the top a vitamin D, 25-OHD, so important to get that tested. And it really frustrates me so much It's something that really bakes my noodle that when a lot of GPs are testing for thyroid, all they're doing is testing TSH and nothing else. Mm. And often um, what we'll see is thyroid antibodies and vitamin D will be indicators long before the thyroid hormones are out. So rather than testing TSH, although I do um, test that as well, my priority is testing thyroid antibodies and and thyroid receptor antibodies to see if there's any immune activity already happening that is then going to affect thyroid function. Rather than waiting for the thyroid function to be affected and then trying to do something about it. Yeah, I
1: think one of the issues that GPS are under now is that um, vitamin D testing got taken off uh, the PBS4 yeah. for test for screen a screen as a screening tool. I think that was yeah. November 2014 so they have to have yeah. reasonable suspicion that yeah, they yeah. are looking for a vitamin D deficiency and they need to and confirm that. And
2: similar with the antibodies as well. But right. There are GPs who will do that. However, <laughs> however, I,
1: I do know that, yes, it's a user pay test, but it's not expensive.
2: No, it's not an expensive one. And yeah. I think it's incredibly worthwhile doing. And, you know, oh, more frustrations. I'll get people back and their vitamin D might be 53 and nothing's been done about it and and um, I even had someone in last week. Their vitamin D, they had been tested for it came, and they'd been through IVF clinic for infertility problems, and their vitamin D came up as 13. And on the report from the IVF clinic was, there was nothing significant to show why there may be reasons for infertility. Um, so, when I'm lo- really looking forward to getting the rest of her test back that we're waiting on at the moment because. Um, I know her thyroid functions out. She does have her hormones out, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing what her antibodies are Mm. and getting her on some vitamin D as well because that in itself, I found getting vitamin D levels up can really actually help to bring antibody levels down. Right. So um, I find vitamin D incredibly useful and I tend to aim in clinic for a level of at least 100 nanomoles. Um, up to, well, yeah, 130 being ideal. Um, and some practitioners um, who are very good on the research front of things as well, recommending up to 220, depending on what's going on for the patient and what their vitamin D receptors might be like. And mm. kind of mm.
1: Professor Michael Hollick, um, shout out to him. Very interesting listening to him talk about the... Um, the tribesmen in Africa, forgive me, I can't remember the tribe, um, mm-hmm. uh, where they had huge levels of vitamin D, even given mm-hmm. their dark skin. Um, yeah. And, you know, they'd always seek shade in the hottest part of the day and then they'd have shorter periods, in, you know, they wouldn't burn. and dee-ba-ba-da. So um, mm-hmm. Incredible. Uh, but it was very interesting that their levels of vitamin D were far higher than what we consider mm-hmm. a normal is, range.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: There are other questions. I I get that and there does appear to be a J curve, but it's just very interesting um that vitamin D I think has been battered down. Um yeah. and certainly pigeonholed in in its uses.
2: Yeah. When yeah. when you get um, receptors
1: in every part of the body, including the thyroid.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Somewhat important. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and other things to test for as well um, include things like iodine and selenium, um, having a look at their infectious history as well and getting antibodies tested if um, it's deemed appropriate. Things like Epstein-Barr virus and herpes uh, simplex, for example, can trigger autoimmune activity yeah. amongst others. Um if they've got a significant stress history, then doing a cortisol panel, um usually doing the you know, the four the spit test one. So you're getting the four samples throughout the day yep. rather than the one off blood test. Yep. Um they're all really important. But my number one test for thyroid is a poo test <laughs> aside from aside from the vitamin D and the antibodies, because again, if we look at the um look at it from the point of view of immune dysregulation and we think that okay most of immune function is in the lining of the gut wall and how that immune function is regulated is largely dependent on what kind of gut microbes you're playing host to then we really need to know what's going on with gut microbes otherwise it's a really hard you know pushing a boulder uphill situation so um, getting a stool test done, a fecal microbial analysis, I find is far more useful than CDSA, just because you get a much more specific breakdown of what microbes are and are not there. Yep. Um, and parasitology as well. because where, both of these,
1: where do you do that? Have
2: a big impact. I do. I use BioScreen.
1: BioScreen. Yep. In Melbourne. So
2: yeah, that's right. So for for parasites. Um, you can do a PCR parasitology under Medicare, or you can do it through Bioscreen. Um, uh, but if you have a GP who's able to write a referral for PCR, then it is covered for the patient.
1: Uh, I might point out to our listeners that um, these tests are when you have a relevant suspicion of something going on. And so they're not a mm-hmm. screening test per se. They're just to test for when you have a reasonable s- suspicion and you want to confirm or deny that um, th- right. there's an issue with these things. So for, uh, I guess I, I said that because of the vitamin D issue. You know, if um, you if yeah. you really need to test, test. If you don't, Michael Hollick says, just supplement because it's so safe. But then you need to think about, well, what dose You know, if they're overweight, they need more, all of that sort of thing.
2: That's right. Sometimes you need some quite hefty doses to begin with and and then start to taper it down. Mm. Yeah.
1: Now, the more I learn about thyroid issues, and I've got to say I thank Dr. Mark Donohoe for alerting me to this, about Mm -hmm. possible links with things like celiac disease combining with the the human leukocyte antigen or antigens DQ4 and DQ8,
2: yeah and you know you I have, remember that's a very important. Yeah. um I'm glad you brought that up because that actually is um another test on my first tier of testing. Ah, okay. if there is suspected thyroid is to check for the celiac gene as well, which I often um say to people is kind of in in some ways more the the thyroid gene because it it almost seems that there's more people with that gene that um, have thyroid issues than yep. actually develop celiac disease.
1: Where do you do that testing through?
2: Uh, just through um, regular pathology labs. Right, great. So Douglas Hanley Moore and the like.
1: Yeah. And what about uh, helicobacter pylori infection? This was something just recently alerting me, this sort yeah, of link, so, this association.
2: Yeah, I am not an expert on that link. I, I know that there um, that, that link is there. I haven't used a lot of testing for it in regards to thyroid But um, it seems like it certainly would be worth looking into as well. Um, And I think because I do a lot of focus so heavily on general um, gut terrain and gut flora as it is, That side of it gets somewhat addressed, but, yeah, I I don't specifically test
1: for it. Well, I think you'd probably um, potentially suspect it if they had things like, you know, uh, dyspeptic symptoms, maybe a breath issue, that sort of thing. Um, um, Certainly if they've recently developed these dyspeptic symptoms after travelling overseas. Um, you know, this this, uh, might raise its head, it raised its head recently in a a friend of mine, but uh, not to say that you'd just again screen for it. Um, And I make the point also that correlation doesn't mean causation, it's just an interesting link. Um,
2: That's right, yeah.
1: But what about, is all thyroid disease of an autoimmune nature?
2: Well, it's not all of an autoimmune nature, but it seems that um, a majority of it is. I um, don't have the stats of that with me, but um i know it's a it's a high um proportion of thyroid disorder that ends up being auto or turns out to be autoimmune mm-hmm. and so um that's what i certainly what i see in clinic anyway um and as a result um my treatment is largely focused around um an autoimmune protocol, basically.
1: And so on to that. What treatments have you found to be effective? And then after that, I'll question you, I'll interrogate you on what sort of issues have you had in your in your, let's say, it's a, let's call it a learning curve. <laughs> mm, okay. But let's, let's, let's firstly talk about what you do, because I've got to say, I love the way that you approach it, approach it from a comprehensive basis. It's not just this, it's that little box, so therefore I'm going to treat the little box.
2: You treat the person. Yeah, definitely. So um, essential to look at the big picture, as, as always. Um, so it's a multi-pronged approach as a result. Um, One of the first things that happens is gluten has to come out of the diet, yeah, because of the correlation between uh, gluten sensitivity and uh, thyroid disorder, but also because of the impact of gluten and zonulin and and gut permeability. Um, And so when we're trying to regulate immune function, we need to make sure that we are healing that hyperpermeability of the gut lining um in which case gluten is counterproductive. So, you know, as my friend Nora Gedguda says, um, saying you're almost gluten free is like saying you're a little bit pregnant, right? You either are <laughs> <laughs> or you're not. So it's a it's an all or nothing kind of thing really. You can't um you don't get the full effect yeah. if you're only almost there. So 100% gluten-free and what we need to keep in mind is there's actually quite a few proteins in um, quite a few foods that cross-react with gluten. The most common foods um, containing those proteins are dairy, soy, corn and actually even coffee. No! Um, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So pretty much as a result, what I start people on is Graduating their diet to become paleo, essentially, and depending on the person, potentially even the autoimmune paleo protocol, um, which can really make quite a big difference in certain individuals. Um, and then, you know, once symptoms have settled down and other things are addressed, then you might, may be able to loosen the reins a bit and try out some of those foods that had been eliminated prior to see how they respond. But just to get to a bit of a baseline, um, reduce inflammation and, and um, sensitivity responses as much as possible. I find that that's a really good mm-hmm. foundation. Um, one of the other things to do early on is to get them to do a, a detox of their home, basically. So we're um, talking here about things like body care products and household cleaning products. So anything that's got any fragrant chemicals in it is has got to go, basically. Okay. Um, so if it has perfume or fragrance written on the label and it doesn't state that it's from an essential oil, then um, it's essentially safer to get rid of it. yeah um, a lot of those fragrant chemicals are immune and hormone disruptors and do have quite a direct impact on um, both the thyroid gland and immune regulation so. For both those reasons, we want those out. Um, if people are avid swimmers in pools, then that can um, be a source of concern as well because right. of the chlorine in the pool, yeah? Yep. Um, and they need to get filtered water at home because the chlorine and the fluoride also displace iodine, so more contributing factors. So there's that side of things. Then when we're um, addressing what's going on in pathology results obviously we want to optimize vitamin d levels and improve iodine and selenium and tyrosine intake and those kinds of things and then we really need to basically do biofilm protocol as as we discussed earlier um to optimize what's going on with the gut microbiota, yeah, yeah. Um, and through that regulate immune function. And a big part of that, and one thing I, I would really like to emphasize and what you mentioned before, is it isn't just about kill off bad bugs, putting good bugs. It's about changing the environment of the gut um, so that you're playing host to good bugs, yeah? Mm. Mm. So if, um, if we're just putting, you know, giving antimicrobials and, um giving probiotics, but not addressing the things like diet and stress that impact on the environment of the gut and things like digestive acid and enzyme production and pH balance and bile production and all those kind of things we're going to be you know back to square one when when um treatment stops
1: yeah, that's right,
2: yeah I think um, I think the
1: the biggest thing that we need to remember as practitioners is that we don't need to feed the gut, we've got heaps of food, we need to nourish it,
2: yeah. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I like it. Um, And then sleep is so important. You know, I think a lot of the time, and I, you know, I'm guilty of this at times as well. You, you just forget how important sleep is, and then, and um, when you go through a patch of, you think, yeah, I'm not going. My sleep's not that that bad. But then when you're back to a really good routine, it's like, wow, I feel like a different person again, and it really affects particularly when we're looking at immune regulation and inflammation and hormone regulation. I mean, these are things that sleep massively affects, right? So very important to get that rhythm. And particularly when there is any history of chronic stress or adrenal fatigue, that routine is just so important where – Life is a rhythm, yet we're on a in a universe that has a rhythm on a planet that's got rhythms and seasons and days and minutes, and we've got our rhythms as well. Mm-hmm. And it's when we get out of rhythm that things tend to go awry. So getting back in rhythm is really important. And it can be
1: such a challenge when you're oh, out it's of…
2: It's a huge yeah. challenge. Yeah, for yeah. insomniacs, like
1: yeah. the, the whole… Um, uh, what do you, not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but a sort of a quandary, you know, a negative quandary yeah. they get themselves into. They're they're awake yeah. and so they get worried about being awake. So guess what? They're awake.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, then they've finally fallen asleep. So they want to get some sleep, but then you end up sleeping later and then it's harder to get to bed earlier. And <laughs> yeah, it's a whole, it can be a whole mess. But um, just gradually, step by step, you know, even inching bedtimes back five or ten minutes at a time, um over time can make a big difference. Mm, yeah. Great point. And obviously there's herbs and supplements that can support that cycle as well. Um depending on
1: is there any that what... you prefer there?
2: Um well I'm a big fan of both magnesium and theanine as a um basic place to start. Yeah. Um those two I find are a magic little combination in many situations. Um but, yeah, then the herbs like um, skullcap and passionflower are big favourites there as well. Um, so it depends a little on the person. Mm. Uh, if there's a big adrenal theme going on, then um, an adrenal formula, I find, even though it's not um, containing sleep herbs necessarily, really helps improve sleep. Oh, okay. So Yeah.
1: But you give it during if- the day?
2: Yeah, given during the day. So, particularly if they're waking at that 3 to 5 a.m. Right, mark, then right. I might use adrenal herbs more. And um, yeah, during the day and then at night, they're often sleeping better. Yeah. And magnesium as well, because the adrenals are pumping through yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Can I ask yeah. about, um, you know, I mean, it's got to be one of my favourite herbs, carver, but also mm. there's a lot of naturopaths that seem to have an issue with um, valerian, despite some of the encouraging evidence.
2: Um, I'm oh, interested I love, in this. Yeah, I do love valerian, and oh, okay. um, I often will use that in combination with passion flower and skullcap. I find that little trio is actually really nice. Yep. However, there are people who, um, for whom it does seem to have the opposite effect. So um, that often comes down to a bit of trial and error, or just getting a bit of a, I don't know. I, you can kind of get a bit of a feel for some people and how they're going to react yep. to certain things. So. Um, but yeah, some people respond beautifully to it. Other people will either feel more awake from it or a bit hungover the next day. So, um, yeah. And there's the Mexican
1: valerian as well, which I've used in some people that, and then that can have a sort of hangover effect.
2: Yeah. So, you know, very much an individualized approach there. Again, using what suits the person in front of you.
1: Mm, Cool.
2: Mm. So that's um, one of the one of the other big things aside from removing toxins from the environment. Actually, is um, really supporting detox pathways. Um, so supporting glutathione production, um, phase two liver detoxification, things like that, um, is incredibly important. And if there has been a history of um, toxin exposure, or you know, a few metabolic things. Um, that make you query their detox pathways then doing um, some functional testing to determine either liver detoxification um, capacity or organic acids test, things like that can be very useful in directing which way you go to support those processes.
1: Now tell me about the organic acids test.
2: Mm. So, well, the organic acids test um, through Great Plains gives, I think it's about 55 different metabolites. Mm. Um, that can show given indication, working backwards from what's in the urine, of what's going on with a whole heap of different metabolic pathways. Um, it can also give you an idea of things like um, dysbiosis degree um, in the gut, uh, energy metabolism like carbohydrate metabolism, mitochondrial function, um, and that kind of thing, so and antioxidant capacity too, which is obviously very important for thyroid function and detoxification. Mm. So, um, particularly for tricky, tricky cases, that can um, give some really cool insights, basically, of which way to go.
1: Helen, I, I just thought I'd make a point to our listeners, and, and that is. With regards to some of these testing methods that aren't medically accepted, I think it's interesting that a lot of your patients would have gone through the medical model and they'd be presenting to you when mm. it doesn't work. And mm. so, my comment to those people, you know, the naysayers, if you like, of, oh, this is this is alternative poppycock, is well, hang on, your model didn't work, so does not it seem medically prudent to investigate something that might Absolutely, work? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't understand the the And I've got to say this was me, but I've got to say, yeah. I don't understand the refusal mm. to look at something that might help once, given mm. that mm. your treatments haven't helped your patient.
2: Yeah that's oh, not a good gosh.
1: paradigm to be in. <laughs>
2: I know, it's, I'm constantly getting, you know, bruises on my head from hitting my head on the desk. Going, <laughs> Why? Why? And how is this possible? And this is so wrong. But it actually really does infuriate me because it um, leaves people in this position where they feel like they have exhausted all avenues and they're still not getting anywhere and yeah. they're feeling miserable and their quality of life is through the floor. And it just, yeah, I don't know. Criminal <laughs> is a word that comes to mind. But it's just not right. No,
1: it's not and, right.
2: And um, and I get some specialists. Whether um, yeah, some specialists who are very supportive. And I've got a couple at the moment who are really keen to see how their patients are going, and um, by retesting them in three months after um their current protocol that and we're that embarking me. on and things like that. So. That's really good and that I've had to me is some it. write letters to me saying, I'm so glad you're addressing the microbiota and so there's the, a few out there who are on it. Yeah. And then there are others who just actually get quite angry mm. about it and um defensive and and some who, you know, if patients go to ask their doctor for a referral from tests I've suggested, for example, And doctor will say, oh, naturopaths, they're just looking for something. Like, well, yes, you should be too. The patient doesn't have answers. It's
1: because you haven't.
2: Yes. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's important that we really want to understand what each, what all of us can do to help the person in front of us rather than. It being an us versus them thing because mm, yes. we do have strengths in different areas and, you know, as you well know and, and listeners of this podcast as well, um, we want to be able to work together for the betterment of um, for it's everybody's patience. health basically. Yeah, yeah? it's patients so, that need to benefit.
1: I, I You yeah. know, look, I, I think you mentioned something just before about those specialists that want to retest in three months and, and they mm. want to see... Objective data. I get that, but don't refuse the potential treatment, given that yours hasn't worked and they've got nothing else, or you've got nothing else in your repertoire. Mm. It's kind of like it's weird. It's a weird refusal. Um,
2: It is weird, and I think it's very hard in many cases to get good data on because of all the the multitude of factors and the multitude of variances within those factors as well. So you know, we'll be waiting centuries before we have enough of you know that standard of research to to prove such things but we see it
1: daily in clinical practice. Yeah, we'd be waiting till time ends if we didn't do anything. Yes, um, you know, right. it doesn't exist yeah. because I won't let it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, it. we digress. <laughs> we <do>. <laughs> <laughs> so I pegged you before about, well, what about your learning curve with regards to um, things that might not have worked or things that might have thrown a different um, response from your patients, might have flipped them? What are the dangers? You
2: know, Well, I think one of the the biggest ones was initially, you know, I was quite um, scared, I guess, of addressing thyroid because I just found the whole dealing with trying to balance the hormone side of things uh, quite difficult to get a grasp of and to implement. And I think in hindsight, the reason being is because that's actually just such a small part of the picture. And so... Again, I guess the biggest learning curve there for me is don't just look at the hormones, like they're an indicator, but look at everything that affects the hormones, yeah, and, and the glandular function. So that is probably the, the biggest thing. What was your second question then? <laughs> um,
1: basically, caveat um, any date. Like, for instance, yeah, we've seen the really... issue with um, uh, what was it? There was the bonsai recall. Um, with oh, high yeah. doses of iodine. I remember a, yeah. a lovely little um, repartee between Guy Abrahams and Dr. Alan Gabby regarding mm-hmm. the dose of iodine in seaweed um, mm. and, the, and the appropriate dose of iodine, which was a yeah. very interesting repertoire. That was in Townsend letter for, Letters for Doctors. Uh, yeah. But what sort of dangers or, or issues have you seen with Yeah, well, with I definitely
2: think iodine is an important one to be um, very respectful around um, and not going too heavy-handed with dosages. Um, looking at what you can get in with food sources, definitely, um, and rather than giving big doses, maybe smaller doses for longer periods too, and rechecking iodine levels to see how that dosage range is going. Um, same goes with vitamin D, never giving vitamin D on its own. Sometimes you need to use quite high doses of vitamin D, which is fine. But we know that giving vitamin D with vitamin K and vitamin A actually protects from any adverse reactions or or adverse effects rather of um, high high levels of vitamin D. So I usually give a D and K2 supplement and then also encourage them to have, or um, well not encourage, insist <laughs> <laughs> that they have um, either liver and or cod liver oil and that they have something like ghee, for example, yep. so that they're getting um, those fat-soluble vitamins in, a you know, caviar as well. And it's like you've got to go and have some caviar. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: righty then. <laughs>
2: yeah. So um, that would be that would be another um, caveat to um, be mindful of.
1: What, a, what about selenium? The relevant dose of selenium. There, there's some interesting research on sort of you know a flipping of the dose. It was the standard 200 micrograms was the um, the, the studied and accepted dose, but it it seems to sort of fall short in some instances of, um, of benefit, not necessarily to do with thyroid, I've got to say, but in the studies that have been done on selenium, it seems to fall short of benefit. But then there was, uh, I, I had a, a talk with um, Professor Margaret Raymond some months ago, gosh, over a year ago now, um, and she was alluding to that the studies have been done wrong. So it's kind of like the mm, issue that Michael Hollick has with a lot of the studies. But you don't know unless you're an expert in selenium.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I guess I'm not. I'm not really an expert in selenium. I do use around 200 microgram dosages, though. Yep. Um, but I don't think uh, it's something
1: we need to be silly with. Again, like iodine.
2: Yeah. No. Exactly. <clears throat> I think that goes um, with most things. Really is. When we're using these um, minerals in isolation we've got to remember that in the body they don't they're not working in isolation in the body it's going they're going to affect um the the function or the the use of other minerals in the body as well, and so you're not necessarily wanting to Overdo it in any one area. Um, getting things again from food as much as possible, but then using supplements wisely. Yeah. Um, and in a balanced kind of in a balanced way.
1: I think I'd also like to make a point for our listeners that when you're looking at naturopathic treatment, we've got to get out of the box mentality of treating a, a medical condition. That we're yeah. actually supporting a patient's health,
2: yeah, regardless we're, we're of that health, medical condition. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Supporting a patient to wellness, and I think. Looking at it from the wellness model is quite different, obviously, um, from looking at it to the disease model. Because when you're looking at a disease model, you're looking at different systems and symptoms and organs, and you can end up taking, you know, 20 different things for 20 different conditions. Mm. Um, Whereas when you are promoting wellness, you've got one goal rather than 20 goals. Yeah. So um, all your efforts are directed by that rather than trying to. Put hats on all the symptoms. So, you
1: support your patient's health with uh, looking at the gut, balancing out the immune Mm. system, looking at their sleep, and all of these sort of factors, and the thyroid just gets better.
2: Exactly. (laughs) You know, know, I think Charlotte Gerson said in in the Food Matters film, you know, you can't heal one disease and keep five others. You either get well or you you don't. yeah? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one thing that we need to keep in mind as humans. We often think of ourselves as separate from the environment whereas really we're just we're we're part of it we are animals and just like everything else in the environment as I mentioned before we have rhythms and it's really important that we um, are in sync with those rhythms otherwise things get out so that's why so much of our wellness journey is about getting back in sync with those rhythms our lifestyle our food our sleep our all of those things that um affect how we are on a day-to-day basis rather than being in this world of busyness that we tend to be these
1: days. All brilliant points from Helen (laughs) Patteron. Helen, thank you so much for taking us through. I I love the care that you exude for your patients. You know, you really (laughs) give a damn about their future and where they're, you know, what they're suffering from and where they're heading to. So I really, really thank you for Enlightening, not just our listeners, but me indeed, um, with some of the the tools that you use to help people who present with your clinic with thyroid issues and and work out and walk out with wellness. So thank you so much for joining us on FX Medicine today.
2: Thank you so much, Andrew. A pleasure as always.
1: This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. This podcast was proudly brought to you by the Bioceutical Seminar Series. Reprogramming autoimmunity. FX Medicine is your gateway to news, resources, and information on the safe, evidence based approach to practicing complementary and integrative medicine. Visit fxmedicine.com.au to sign up for e news and stay up to date with the latest research, podcasts, and
2: industry information.